I'm Aaron Ross Powell, and this is Reimagining Liberty, a podcast about the cosmopolitan, emancipatory, and forward-looking case for radical liberty. One of the difficult and interesting questions a system of political liberty needs to deal with is how to approach differing conceptions of what the good life looks like and how people ought to behave. We can say that the government shouldn't interfere in people's lifestyle choices, but does that mean we should also say that being pro-liberty means being pro-every choice people might make, as long as it's peaceful? My guest today is Stephanie Slade, a senior editor at Reason Magazine. She recently published an article about this very issue, about whether a commitment to political and economic liberty necessarily entails a commitment to and celebration of social liberalism and cultural progressivism. Stephanie and I diverge in some ways in how we answer that question, which makes it an important discussion to have. We talk about whether libertarianism is only a political project or if it's an ethical one, too. We talk about the role of social conservatism in a free society, how both the left and the right are too quick to use the state to enforce their social preferences, and how we can have a more tolerant world and a more just world if we'd all just mutually disarm a little. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And be sure to stick around to the end for a preview of the next Reimagining Liberty episode, as well as information on how you can listen to it right now without any wait. Maybe the best way to begin our conversation today is with a tweet. Back at the end of February, I was writing a thread about libertarianism and conservatism, and I said the following. Libertarianism is a movement for radical freedom, dissolution of power, and, yes, progressive cultural change. The reactionary right has always stood against all of these. Libertarians are liberals and should act like it. And you quote-tweeted me, and you said, Oh, hey, great example in the wild of what I call comprehensive libertarianism in a brand new issue of Reason. And this is the article that you had just published, The Two Libertarianisms. In that context, what do you mean by comprehensive libertarianism, and why was I an example in the wild of such? Yeah, listeners who may be interested can actually find this article online under the headline, Must Libertarians Care About More Than the State? So that's what it's called on the, in the web-only version. And in, in this piece, basically, I mean, the, the magazine, the print magazine version was called Two Libertarianisms, as you note, because I, I was commenting that you know, in, within the big tent of libertarianism. And of course, people outside of libertarianism think, I'm sorry, libertarianism is such a tiny fringe view. How can it be a big tent? But those of us in the tent, we know that there's a lot going on here and there are a lot of different ways to be a libertarian. Um, and so what I what I commented on is that one way that you can kind of uh, divide the, the, the menagerie within within that tent is um, you you ask the question, do you think that, do you think libertarianism is just a philosophy of the proper role of the state in society? Is it just a political philosophy? Or do you think that it's a philosophy that tells you about things that go beyond just what should the state do and tells us how should we structure society you know, in other ways or how should we live our individual lives? Is it a moral philosophy? Is it a comprehensive, um, a more comprehensive philosophy that gives us you know, some guidance about liberty being not just the, t- the sort of primary political value, but is it a, is it a primary value in a, in a more comprehensive way? Would it be fair to call it then to distinguish this as libertarianism as just a, a philosophy of the state versus libertarianism as a system of ethics? Perhaps. I mean, I think I think I'm not a comprehensive libertarian. So I think, you know, people who identify that way or who, who sort of see 
you know, that, that idea resonates with them. They could, they might disagree with that, but I think that that's one potential way to talk about it. It, it seems to me that, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, paint them into a corner because somebody might say, well, I'm a comprehensive libertarian, but I don't believe in ethics in that way or something. So, but, um, but I think that that's, that's an interesting, you know, potential manifestation of comprehensive libertarianism is to say, yeah, I'm a comprehensive libertarian. And for me, that means that I think that this is a, this is an ethical system. So of course it goes beyond just how should the state function and tells me how I should, how I should live as well. So teasing out then a bit of that distinction, I mean, you said that the comprehensive libertarian says that libertarian reasons, i.e. the things that lead them to have political libertarianism, also tell us that we should behave in certain ways or structure society in certain ways or have certain values and so on outside of just like what the various institutions of the state do. But isn't – how do we how do we decouple those? Because the state ultimately exists. You know, we – exists to structure society in a certain way. Like that's why we have it is without it, society would be structured in ways that we find undesirable, whether that was, you know, non-functioning markets, lack of enforcement of promises, violence, state of nature, the Hobbesian life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, like that kind of thing. So we create the state to provide this degree of structure and move society in a um, more desirable direction. And so why why would we stop there? Like wouldn't wouldn't the values that say this is what the state should do in order to structure society in a desirable way, wouldn't those same values say carry into the rest of our lives? Well, the state is only one of many, many, many ways that we structure society. I mean, I would I would right away push back on the idea that the state is the only thing that structures society. Um it, it there are lots of forces out there that 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 um, constrain and channel and, and influence the way our society looks and functions. Um, I think that the, the state has a really, really minimal, I mean, as a libertarian, right, the state has a really minimal function of basically keeping the peace. I think the state exists, if you think the state should exist at all as a libertarian, and of course there's some disagreement among libertarians on that, but um, if you think it should exist at all, it exists to protect life, liberty, and property. Um, but I don't want to live in a world where the only structure we have in the entire society is that you can't assault somebody or take their things or kill them. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that we have, we have civil society institutions that structure, we have family structures, we have norms and, and customs and traditions. And these are all things that structure society that have nothing to do with that, that very narrow baseline role of keeping the peace that the, that the state exists to do. So there's there's a function if you're thinking about what is the right what is the society that I want to live in and how would it be structured and what is the best society that we could hope for um, I would say different different forces and different institutions and different people and different things all have different roles to play and the state's role is only one little piece of that and it's an important one and I want it to be done right because I think the better it does its job um, the more free and secure we are to then do the other things that are actually much the higher purposes of life. If we have freedom and we have, if our liberty is secure, you know, if we know that we're not going to be assaulted, if we, if we have a, a fairly high degree of confidence that we're not going to be assaulted walking down the street, and if we believe that contracts that we enter into are going to be enforced, you know, fairly and all of that, then we are, we, we are freed, the sort of, the landscape is opened up for us to then do a lot 
you know, to do all the other things that are really the purpose of life. I want to try to tease out more the distinction then between purely political libertarianism as I guess like an ethos versus comprehensive libertarianism as like a way of perceiving the the role of libertarianism in society. Um, so you mentioned in, in your article, you talk about another article by um, Will Ruger and Jason Sorens where they are pushing back on the idea of what they kind of characterize as libertine libertarianism, which is what – you work at Reason. Reason often gets accused of being the libertines in the libertarian movement, right? Not not that you personally are, but like that's the the kind of like anything goes, drug, sex, and rock and roll libertarianism, and and they say there are a lot of libertarians out there who basically are of the view that unless it's a rights violation, like rights violations are bad. Anything that's not a rights violation, any behavior is is like a okay. And we should just we should just celebrate like every possible behavior out there that's not immediately violating someone's rights, um, and that's this like libertine that pushes them in this drug, sex, and rock and roll direction, and that has always struck me as like somewhat of a straw man because most people actually like don't believe that anything goes; they just have different conceptions of what should go and what shouldn't, and they don't they don't believe that there should be no social constraints on behavior, no shaming, right, that we shouldn't disassociate from people that we dislike, like all of that. Um, It's just that the underlying disagreement is what things should be shamed and what things shouldn't. And so for the difference between comprehensive libertarianism and political libertarianism, you describe them – is it more that both sides in this debate agree that there should be social mores or structures or so on and the comprehensive libertarians are saying those structures should be in line with the same set of like underlying libertarian values that lead me to a minimal state or if I'm an anarchist, no state? Um Whereas the political libertarian says, no, they should align with like something else. I think that's half right. So, and it's a really good point, a really important point and a good challenge to my piece that like the people who sort of more or less see themselves as, as comprehensive libertarianism, uh, comprehensive libertarians or who, whose views fall into that camp more are not all in agreement, um, you know, among themselves about what that looks like. And so it's not like this, it's this, this clear, there's a clear um, path forward. Once you say, I think that liberty is the highest value, in, you know, across all domains, that that, what, the, what does that mean? How does that lived? That's, that's a really, there's a lot of diversity and can be a lot of diversity um, on how you answer that question. Um, but yeah, so obviously, as a political libertarian, I have underlying moral beliefs that led me to be, be a libertarian. Um, and for example, I'm a Catholic and my Catholicism informs my libertarianism. The things that I believe about how humans were created, you know, in the image of God and therefore have this equal inherent dignity, um, really it, it informs and, 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 um, provides a sort of foundation, um, under my libertarian beliefs. I, I, I get to my libertarianism by starting there. Um, but the difference, I think, between, I, I guess the, there's a sort of directional thing here, which is that, like, I have all these um, moral beliefs that have nothing to do with how, like, 
they're, they go well beyond, my Catholicism goes well beyond my libertarianism, right? And my other moral beliefs and my other just, not even moral beliefs, just beliefs about how the world functions when I look around me, um, a lot of them go well beyond what I believe as a libertarian. Um, they inform me, there's a, there's a sort of arrow that like points me towards libertarianism. Um, but once I get to libertarianism, I say, um, I'm not going to turn around and say, if you are a libertarian, then you must believe all the same things I believe and live the same way I live going the other way, right? Like that's the thing that I, that I don't, that doesn't make sense to me because I think that other people have started in other very different places and they have gotten to libertarianism in their, along their own routes. And so the thing, the way that they think is the right way to live um, in the non-government, in the way that the, the, the sort of choices they make in the non-governmental, non-public policy sphere um, are going to look totally different from mine. And I can't, it just makes no sense to me to say, well, you claim to be a libertarian and therefore you must therefore live the way I live or support a society that looks the way I want society to look or something. Um, whereas uh, I think the comprehensive libertarian way of life says, if you're a libertarian, and I think this was in that tweet that, or that, that thread of tweets that you began with, um, if you are a libertarian, you should be a libertarian, be a libertarian across all domains and all facets of life. Um, and I, that just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me because of my conception of what libertarianism is, which is the overlap, um, overlapping sort of belief in either uh, very limited or non-existent um, state and the public policy uh, preferences that come, that comes from that. Like there's that overlap that you can get to that overlapping place from a lot of different directions, a lot, a lot of different starting points. Um, and it doesn't tell you anything once you're there about going the other direction, about how we should live our, our lives or how we should structure society or how civil society should look or function. And you have to, now you can, what you can do though, is you can obviously ask a person how they got to libertarianism and then interrogate their other views. That's fine. But I don't think you can just say, well, you're a libertarian and therefore you should, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Well, let me take that a moment to, I guess, defend my tweet because I think in in doing so, it may it may clarify where maybe the disagreement is between us on this issue. Um, so, what I had argued was, I'll just was said, libertarianism is a movement for radical freedom, dissolution of power, and yes, progressive cultural change. And what I meant by that was not that. If you are a libertarian, you need to act in a – like in your own personal life, you need to live it in like we might call a socially liberal way or in – you don't need to suddenly become like a resident of Berkeley, California or start smoking lots of pot or you know doing all of these libertine things, but instead that – if libertarianism is a movement for a radically restricted state compared to what we have now, and then and then libertarians will argue just tooth and nail with each other about how radically restricted, but we can you know bracket that conversation. But one of the things that a large state does and historically has done is engage in social control in the sense of it – it gets used by those with power to maintain the social hierarchies that give them power. Um, it it keeps certain classes of people lower status and other people other classes higher. You know that's an obvious one of like all of the the Jim Crow laws 
in the American South were existed in order to maintain the social status of whites at the expense of the social status of blacks. But in countries where certain religions are privileged over others at, at the legal level or certain economic activities are privileged through incentives or disincentives and so on, um, like those with power tend to use the state to kind of maintain that power. And if you roll back the state, and so you roll back its ability to be used to kind of prevent people from acting how they want to as long as they're not violating rights, um, then individuals will inevitably choose – some individuals may choose to live by traditional values, however we happen to define those, or certain sets of religious values, or they may just like – want to live the way that their grandparents lived or something like they you know individuals will choose that but inevitably in a regime of much more political and economic freedom more people will choose to live differently from those traditional ways than would have in a regime that was propping that up and so inevitably then a a movement for political libertarianism is going to entail more rapid cultural change and more lifestyle experimentation than uh, a a government that has more power because some of the mechanisms for preventing cultural change and preventing experimentation no longer can be used. And so if you are a political libertarian, you basically are signing on to a political regime that is going to enable more progressive cultural change than you otherwise would have had, even if you don't like personally like the direction that it's going. Um, and so that's what I meant by it's a movement for that, because it's a movement that says, just like, you know, if we say, you might say, like, I don't like economic growth, but if you sign on to, to like radically free markets, you're basically saying, I'm signing on to a movement that's going to produce radical like economic growth. You know, because that's one of the things that happens in free markets. And so if if that's the case, then it seems like it seems like you have to, even as just a political libertarian, you have to say, my political libertarian project is going to lead to more social liberalism, more tolerance and more experimentation, even if some of the experiments aren't what I would prefer. And that to me seems that all that's what kind of comprehensive libertarianism is, is saying it's not telling like you, Stephen Lee Slade, that you have to, you know, become a hedonistic atheist or whatever. Um, but instead it's saying like you can live the way you want to and other people can live the way they want to, but that's going to mean more cultural change than if we were forcing people to live in a specific way. Uh, I mean, okay, that's, that's a pretty weak um, political or co uh, comprehensive libertarianism in that case, because the, you know where the rubber hits the road is where you have, for example, um, if you think that a sort of liberalization of the culture and of the society is a good thing, um, and that it's not enough to just say we're going to get rid of the governmental structures that we're enforcing, um, let's say a sort of patriarchal uh, social structure, we're going to get rid of the governmental enforcement of that, and we're going to see what happens. Um, 
and you know probably it will become a less patriarchal society over time. I mean, this is not this is not in any way a challenge to me. Um, what is what is a challenge though is if you say, well, and we we should be supportive of that um, as libertarians. Part of being a liberal or a libertarian is to be supportive of that change, and therefore we suddenly you run up, you're going to immediately clash up against something like the Catholic Church that says that women can't be clergy, right? This is a this is this is, doesn't require the state to be involved in order to still have this sort of institutional structure that keeps a, um, a sort of old fashioned or traditionalist um, social uh, structure in place. And uh, people are going to choose to be Catholic, and they're going to choose to abide, abide by the church's teachings and the church's practices. Um, and you, as a comprehensive libertarian, have to decide how to feel about that and whether to um, object in some way to it. And there are plenty of people who would object to that and who do. And I hear it all the time as a Catholic. Um, and so the question is, as a libertarian, do you have some sort of obligation to feel that way or not? And um, maybe you don't, but there definitely are some, you know, there's, there is a type of comprehensive libertarianism that takes that to be... Um, Part of what libertarianism is is to is to care about questions like that, and I think that that's where, you know, again, where the rubber meets the road, where the you have an actual sort of clashing or, um, yeah, just these two values coming up against each other. Um, it's not always as obvious uh, where you should come down, and if you're trying to use libertarian first principles to answer those questions. Um, I think you're going to have a hard time. I mean, that's why I ultimate one of the reasons why ultimately I, I can't embrace comprehensive libertarianism is because I don't think it does a good job of answering those questions at all. So that was a very interesting answer, and it's it's sparked a number of potential avenues or questions that I have that I fear risk going on tangents, but maybe maybe it's worth it. Um, so the first one is like you talked about being a Catholic libertarian, and you know, I mean, I. Both of us have worked in professional libertarian circles for a long time, and it is very much the case that I would say – like, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my strong guess is that atheists and agnostics are overrepresented in libertarian circles compared to the general population, right? And that that, that then colors the way that – a lot of libertarians think about, say, religious institutions and structures and religious rules or choices to live by those rules or like within the within those institutions and so on, and and often produces like a fair amount of hostility towards them, like in in kind of a new atheist way where you know religion is the root cause of all problems sort of thing like second only to the state if you're a libertarian i think is is a is a relatively common attitude and a lamentable one you know i'm not a catholic but i'm a buddhist and there are lots of libertarians who think that's pretty silly and what i wonder is if that is a kind of an unfortunate artifact of the small size and relative fringiness of our movement in that you know like we're we're a small political movement of political outsiders who are, you know, by nature, most people don't join a fringe political movement unless they're kind of oppositional in some way, you know, um, and and so 
just attitudinally, like the kinds of people who would say who would become kind of fedora wearing new atheists also might become, you know, like reject state power and they might have good reasons for either one. Um, but it seems to me like that particular concern, if our movement was broader and more diverse and more mainstream, um, you might get more just kind of cultural preference tolerance for religion because you'd be less – the movement would be less likely to draw exclusively from people who have a natural propensity to just be oppositional to any kind of traditional thing. I think that's right. And, you know, anecdotally, I, I love to share that in the time that I've worked at Reason, we have seen an increasing proportion of our young hires and interns who are religious or and, and or who identify as pro-life. This was a shock to me. I was the only one when I started at Reason that had, a, you know, that was a sort of go, went to church, you know, identified as a religious believer of any kind and um, and who who identified at least openly as pro-life. And it's a much more common in the movement uh, among young libertarians, just sort of anecdotally from my, that's my perception from what I've seen. Um, so I think that that is that is it is true that as the sort of um, that the, as, the, as the movement can sort of broaden a little bit, it can become more tolerant of different sort of cultural preferences. But again, to me, what that what you're describing is a sort of uh, retrenchment towards political libertarianism, towards the idea that we are actually, the thing that we share is our political views, our, blues, our views about the proper role of the state, our views about public policy, um, and the, stu the stuff that's outside of that domain, that's in the non-governmental sphere of life. Um, there's room for us to, you know, agree to disagree. I think one of the, one of the skepticisms that people might have hearing the argument that we should just be we should agree to disagree and we should just be political libertarians and not comprehensive in the way you've described it is for a lot of people that is a way to maintain it's less about like people should be able to live how they want to and more the state should stay out of things but society should be structured to enforce a particular set of values that happens to be, in a lot of cases, like socially conservative values. So again, the, the Sorens and Ruger essay that you critique um, is basically making the case that like the government should stay out, but schools and social circles and all these other things should enforce something that looks, you know, like they are very upset about sex workers and drug use and it should like enforce kind of culturally conservative social preferences. And and so how do you, you know, how do you convince people that that's not what's going on? Because I think it do, it is what's going on like we we have watched say like the libertarian party degenerate into the paleo libertarians and kind of alt right and and these really ugly like pro bigotry anti inclusion views um you know i've been attacked by the mises caucus quite frequently in you know in pretty awful ways and for them it does seem like they're they basically like want to be able to discriminate against people and groups 
and maintain their their social status as typically like white males um and against like rising feminism rising multiculturalism religious acceptance and so on um and they see this uh, a more active state as basically a threat to them being able to do that because a more active state will undertake policies that might prevent them from being able to discriminate against people um and and so how do you how do you make the case that like political libertarianism isn't necessarily a cover for i just want to be able to enforce my particular preferences by other means well it's it's obviously it's logically the case it, it's necessarily the case that it's not just a cover for that since it says um libertarianism is just a theory you know a philosophy of the state and you're going to have to answer questions about outside of that domain in other ways that means that there's an infinite number of ways that people that political libertarians could go about answering those questions and you just have to argue those on the merits you just have to say like let's talk about why they want to do something and i consider that to be horrifying and wrong and here's why i consider it to be wrong and here's why given your moral priors i think you should agree with me and not with them um, but I don't think that it's a, it's a simple because, you know, as soon as you start bringing up words like they just want to be able to, to discriminate, well, the baker or the web designer who doesn't want to make a website or a, or a cake for, you know, to celebrate a gay wedding because he or she is a, a you know, conservative, small o, orthodox Christian and opposes gay marriage and doesn't want to be involved in a celebration of a gay, of a gay marriage, um, it, it's going to be accused of discriminating. And you're going to have to look at that at that situation and decide whether, you know, he or she should have that right to do it and how you should think about it and how you should feel about it and whether you should say, well, you have the legal right, but I'm not going to give you my business then. Um, or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to criticize you or, or, or what you have to make a decision about how you're going to think about something like that. Um, sometimes, and again, you're going to have to make a decision about how you think about the fact that the Catholic Church doesn't ordain female clergy. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cases that are not obviously objectionable, even though they involve exclusion or discrimination, or where people can, in good faith, come down in different places on that. Um, and I think, like, it's there's just I just don't think that you can say, well, you're a libertarian. Like, libertarianism gives us the answer. It gives us all the answers to these questions. We're going to have to look. We're going to sort of have to broaden our scope or our horizon and say, what are the things that we that that you and I both agree on? What are the values that we share as a, as a society? What are the values that we can agree on? And why is this, this stuff that they want to do with their freedom from government um, coercion objectionable to us at a social level and, and worthy of being ostracized, for example, versus um, versus why is it why is it not? Why should we not be ostracizing everybody who accepts, you know, the Catholic Church's teachings or something like that? Um, these are difficult questions, and people don't all come down to the same place on them. Um, and like, I just don't think there is a shortcut. I think comprehensive libertarianism is trying to—I use the word heuristic in the piece. It's a shortcut to say, well, we should just look at the things that we believe in the governmental sphere and try to apply them in these other places. I don't think that gets us where we want. Where we need to be. I think that's a fantastic point. And it's like one way of framing it is the reasoning's going in the wrong direction. Um, and so you can, it's, there's something wrong with starting with 
political libertarianism and reasoning to a moral theory from that when in fact what we do is start with a moral theory and then we reason to to a political theory you know but I we mean, don't all start in the same place, right right, right. that's the, that's the complication yes here. like i um several years ago edited a volume uh called arguments for liberty where which i'll put a link to in the show notes because it's a free download where i had a dozen moral philosophers start with a moral philosophy so there was natural rights there was consequentialism there was virtue ethics and so on like these very different moral philosophies that can tell us very different things about how we should live our lives but then show how each of them can lead you to political libertarianism potentially for different reasons but they can end up in the same place and so that was reasoning that was reasoning in what i think you're describing as like the right direction you know that you have you have your moral theory and your moral theory might be one of these like canonical philosophical theories or it might be your catholicism or my buddhism or social hedonism it could be you know like whatever it happens to be and then it gets you to libertarianism but then you can't reason backwards from that libertarianism to there being like one true underlying moral theory yeah. And and realistically, it's probably an amalgamation mm-hmm. of things that we're all bringing in with us that, that you know, and, and we're ending up at political libertarianism, um, but going the other way. I mean, that's that's just why I think I, I latched on to your saying something that, you know, we should be we should in, in, in embrace progressive cultural, you know, I, I suppose that that's. You know, that could mean a lot of different things. I don't know exactly what you meant by that, but I think a lot of people people want to say, well, from political libertarianism, it follows progressive cultural sort of preferences. And I don't, I really don't, you know, I don't think that that's, that that's necessarily true at all. It certainly doesn't for me when I start with Catholicism and, sure. and, and many other things and end up at political libertarianism. And then I walk back out of the governmental sphere and um, I don't, I don't end up as a, as a progressive on many cultural questions. Is there a potential though for tension there in the sense that so you can you make a case for like living a let's just call it like a socially conservative lifestyle whatever we might define that as um based on you know a certain set of moral priors and values um and and just say like i'm going to do this is the lifestyle that like i prefer and i'm going to live it and the rest of you probably shouldn't be like trying to compel me to give it up or shame me for for wanting to live that in my own life. Um, But a lot of particularly social conservatives, I think, make a broader argument, which is social conservative values. So in opposition to, like, say, social progressivism um, or, like, radical lifestyle experimentation or whatever, um, are actually, like, genuinely dangerous at the societal level. That if we enable people to have alternative styles of relationships, if we enable, um, you know, gender lines or traditional gender roles to be in flux, uh, then that will have long-term really negative effects on 
not just on like the people who don't want to live that way, but on kind of everyone that it's, it's basically like you're messing with things you don't understand and it's going to have repercussions that you hadn't anticipated. And given that that is, is a fairly common argument among social conservatives, um, that to me seems to introduce a level of like instability into their potential political libertarianism because basically they'll say, I think the state should not interfere in the way people live their lives. You know, it shouldn't, it should just enforce kind of rights violations and otherwise leave people alone. Um, but it seems like that's something that can only obtain if society, if you genuinely are worried about society collapsing or becoming like a bad place, that view of politics can only last as long as society hasn't drifted too far from your particular preferences. That that someone who genuinely believes that, let's say, young people experimenting with gender identity will do long-term significant damage if enough young people are experimenting with gender identity, it's going to be harder and harder for those conservatives to not bring the state into it. That, that if society drifts far enough from your values, you're going to want some check against it. But at the same time, like it is very likely that society will drift very far from any one of our particular values because culture changes dramatically over time, particularly in freedom. Well, I think there's a little bit of question begging there. So, um, you know, you could definitely be you use the word allows at one point. If we allow this lifestyle, uh, lifestyle experimentation, then bad things will happen. Um, and I guess I think it's if by allows you mean um, if the state allows it, if we don't make it, if we don't actually coercively prohibit it, um, then then yeah, then I think that there's there's still room for people to say for people to disagree um, whether there are other ways to go about checking the potential the potential downsides. So you and I think most people probably would I think it's a pretty widespread belief that even if the state should, for example, the state should not be in the business there should be no established religion. The state should not be in the business of forcing people to, um, you know, uh, profess some particular faith, um, partially because if you you know. It's not really. It, it's good to. It's good to be a believer. If I'm Catholic, and I think everybody else should be Catholic too, but I, I want you to believe it. I don't just want you to say you believe it, right? Um, so a person can. So okay, a person can think that it's important for the state to allow people to make different choices that they don't approve of, um, while still thinking that it's very important for us in, in, in non-coercive ways outside of government policy to try to stem the bad outcomes and. Okay, I actually think there's a little bit of a also of a sort of um, a presumption of a linearity there, where you think that um, if we if the state allows people to engage in lifestyle lifestyle experimentation, then it will definitely lead us to to more and more experimentation and and terrible outcomes. But if you if you look at the sort of just empirical history, even of America, what you see is like a wave pattern of these things. You you see um, these periodic great religious awakenings and uh, moral norms that that sort of ebb and flow. Um, so I don't think there's any reason to assume that like that the people who want to allow this experimentation 
at a government level um, wouldn't have some amount of faith that they can, in non-government through non-governmental means, um, check the bad outcomes through persuasion, through social pressures, through the building of institutions and movements, and all these other things that have nothing to do with government. Um, I think many, many people do believe that, like, there should be wide latitude under law for people to live in in various different ways, believe in various different ways, while still thinking there are right choices and some choices that are better than others, uh, right choices and wrong choices, and um, wanting to try to to influence the the sort of shape of society, um, you know, in those other ways. Like, it, I guess I I, I see you assuming that people will be so afraid that they will abandon their commitment to that, that first kind of freedom, freedom from government interference. Um, and that, that to me is the question that's being debated. Like, will they, or should they? And I think there's a chance that they will. Um, but there's no guarantee that they will. And I'm, I'm certainly personally very committed to trying to, to make the alternative case for why they should seek out other ways to bring about the outcomes they want without abandoning their, their pre-existing commitment to, to individual liberty and limited government. Yeah, I agree absolutely that we should look for other ways. And you had, you had mentioned earlier like the masterpiece bake shop situation of infor- like you know punishing, in this case legally, a baker for not baking a cake for a same-sex wedding. And that – I've always been like deeply frustrated by that move on the part of the cultural left to to kind of go after that sort of stuff because it's wrong but it's also like strategically a blunder um in in the sense that like on the issue of gay marriage the cultural left like won that debate at the social level like it's it's you know like they gay marriage was made legal nationwide Gay relationships continue to grow in acceptance. Um, some weird stuff going on in Florida and elsewhere, you know, notwithstanding. But like by and large, the culture has gone in that direction. The cultural left kind of won that culture war. And all that it does to be saying now we're going to use the state to put the boots on the necks of someone who isn't actually harming anyone because there's lots of bake shops you can go to. It's it's not like, you know, there's no way for this couple to get a cake now. Um all it does is, outside of hurting of the baker unnecessarily, is it it signals to the to cultural conservatives like we are going to just it's not enough for us to gain acceptance. We are going to like grind you into the ground with the power that we have, and so we are. It, it's no longer a regime of like tolerance. It's a regime of like winner take all and the loser is destroyed. And that's of course going to make cultural conservatives feel more defensive, feel more under threat, and then drive them to using the state to try to fight back because the state is the most powerful tool that they have. And And you said, you know, like there are we can make the case that like you can hold these values but not let them turn into therefore i want to use the state to enforce them and and that your part of your project is to make that case to social conservatives right to like to be to to stay political libertarians but i think it is the case that we are seeing a rising tide of people who were not 
you know, the, the Republican Party was never libertarian, but there was a time when the mainstream was much more limited government than it is now. And we have watched this rising tide of illiberalism, whether that's the national conservatives, the populists, the Catholic integralists, all the people at this new compact magazine that launched yesterday, um, who are explicitly basically saying the culture has drifted so far from what I think is appropriate – they have drag queen story hour now that we need to take over the reins of the state and have a much more a much stronger more interventionist state that enforces our conception of the common good and that does seem to be a it's not that maybe the dominant depending on how you define it within american conservatism but it certainly is growing and is like a dominant intellectual force within it and so the draw of that does seem to be very strong yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of evidence. First of all, this is just what I've been spent the last four years covering: um, is this sort of intellectual turn to illiberalism on the right. It was, un, I think, unexpected for a lot of people. And there's a lot of evidence that um, I, I've written a lot about this: that the sort of Trump phenomenon, the the wave of support for Donald Trump that took many people by surprise, um, was motivated for a while. People on the right were saying, "Well, it was it was disaffected blue collar workers who were opposed to." free global trade and globalization. It's like, no, the evidence is very strong that it was a sense of what you were describing earlier, which is that the left was trying to grind them out of existence. It was a sort of, there was a total war happening and um, it was not enough for um, you to, for us to even, you know, for there to be legal gay marriage, but you must, you know, destroy anybody who will not mouth the right proper pieties, right? This is the sort of thing that they were reacting against. And, 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 it's it's a fair point. The left has no qualms about using the state to get its way to come after, you know, for people on the right are saying they have no qualms about using the state to come after us. They want to, they want to, they want the state to shut down our business if we don't, you know, abide by their sort of woke or political correct norms. Um, they, they want, the ACLU has brought one lawsuit after another, after another against Catholic hospitals for not performing abortions. Um, they, they, they are going to use the law and the state and they, they just don't have a, any problem with using the state against us. And so if we don't do the same, if we don't, if we don't fight fire with fire, if we don't, ret- you know, fight back in kind, then we're basically, it's basically unilateral surrender. This is what you hear from the right. Um, and it's like, this is an example of why the left made such a huge mistake by abandoning its liberal principles. When it went illiberal, when it decided that we were not going to like live in a, a culture of toleration, at the very least at that, at that that baseline level of the state won't intervene. You can use you can use social pressure, um, but the state will keep the state out of it. When they abandon, when the left abandoned that, then it, it you know the sort of grand liberal bargain that makes our society work was upset, and now many on the right want to want to do the same. Um, on the other hand, I think that our liberal institutions have done a pretty good job of pushing back against the worst, worst excesses of the left. They often do not, they try to do these things, but they often don't get their way. The Masterpiece Cake Shop decision did not, did, you know, did not side with the state against the baker, it sided with the baker. And now there is a, a follow-up case, um, 301 Creative, I think, uh, with a web design company, where there's a real chance that the Supreme Court will actually make an even more sweeping ruling in favor of the business proprietor uh, against the state. Like, there are... There are mechanisms within a liberal society to check the worst excesses of illiberalism on the left or on the right. 
um, if we keep those in, you know, liberal institutions strong and robust and we keep our faith in them. But if we abandon them, if we say the other side isn't playing by the rules and so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play by the rules either, then it's just will to power. It's just might makes right. We are just in a war, you know, a war of all against all. And this is not, I think, an outcome that any of us should be excited about. Thank you for joining me in my conversation with Stephanie Slade. Our next episode is coming April 20th. It's an introduction to a topic lots of us have strong opinions about, but few of us have a deep understanding of. Ian Bennett of the Epoch Philosophy YouTube channel will be joining me to discuss Marxism. As one of the main ideological opponents of liberalism, Marxism is worth exploring and understanding, and Bennett does a fantastic job making Marx's complex ideas clear. Here's a preview. This is very important because you have a, a libertarian audience. Marx was not someone who was moralistically opposed to capitalism. Marx doesn't really talk a lot about morality in the context of economics. He, he, like, he doesn't even really say capitalism is quote-unquote unjust. He's very disinterested with how we would describe moralism. At the same time, this is essentially Marx's view on capitalism. It is the best economic system we have seen to date. It is the most powerful, most robust. It has lifted and um, presented newer forms of technology. But the inherent dialectical contradiction within capitalism is that it also creates new problems that must be solved. But the way capitalism functions in my mind and under a Marxist analysis is it doesn't want to change. The entire goal of it is to facilitate the same economic structure uh, and cycle. If you enjoyed that preview and want to listen to the episode right now, instead of waiting until April 20th, consider becoming a supporter of the show. You'll get every episode early, as well as access to our Discord community. Just go to patreon.com slash reimaginingliberty or click the link in the show notes.